0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at Political underscore Beats. Also invite you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, we're in all those places. Or head right to nationalreview.com, where you can listen to uh, new episodes and past episodes there as well. Please listen, enjoy, share and leave reviews as well. Political Beats, the show where we talk with people in and around the world of politics about nothing political whatsoever, but only about music and our guest's uh, chosen band or artist. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff.
1: Hey, Scott. Just buckling up, strapping in, commencing countdown. I think it's going to be a long, long show.
0: <laughs> you know, and I saw you in your Donald Duck costume, and it looks just spot on <laughs> today, I must tell you. It's, it's uh,
1: well, well, what did you think of my, uh, my, uh, my Johann Sebastian Bach pompadour? <laughs> like that?
0: Also sharp. I think your new hairdresser has it just, just right. Yeah, man, it cost a lot of money to look that weird. <laughs> Find Jeff online at Esoteric CD. And we welcome our guest for this program. He is a Brookings Institution Visiting Fellow, author of The End of Europe, and columnist for Tablet Magazine. You can find him on Twitter at j kerchik. He's Jamie Kerchik. Jamie, thank you for joining us on Political Beats. Thanks for having me. So we'll get to the artist in just one moment, but first we always like to give our listeners a little bit of insight on who's going to be talking to them for the next two hours or so. And we ask you, Jamie, how did you uh, become a part of this uh, political ecosystem?
2: Uh, well, I started my career a little over a decade ago at the New Republic magazine in Washington. I uh, was there for a couple of years covering American foreign policy, domestic politics, culture, the whole gamut, really. Then I moved overseas to uh, Prague to work at Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and traveling across uh, the former Soviet space, lived in Germany, uh, and back in D.C. for a couple years in think tank world um writing about all sorts of topics for various publications mostly europe and uh u.s foreign policy and uh published this book last year the end of europe
0: and that's available of course everywhere you might find fine books and even not so fine books it might be there too as we get into our artist this week, I, Dave Weigel had pointed something out to me that should have been obvious, but wasn't until he said something, which is that everyone listening to the show knows who the artist is. It's right there as you click on it. So there's no real reason to keep the suspense, I guess. It's Elton John. But let me introduce Elton John this way. Um, this is from a, a recent piece, I think at Vulture. Seven number one albums in a row in the U.S. Three, uh, those albums at a three and a half year period, 39 weeks at number one. A little less than a quarter of the overall span. Uh, By Billboard's rankings, he is by far the biggest album act of the 1970s. Also, Billboard's biggest singles act of the 1970s. And the third biggest singles artist of all time. Nine number one hits. uh, 27 top ten hits. That's a lot. In all, in total, he has sold more than 150 million albums and 100 million singles.
1: Uh, He is Elton John. So this is one of our more esoteric shows. Uh, you know, we, we like to focus on obscure, underrated, and, and unknown artists. We just that, pray you know, that—that's s- really really why we do this.
0: Somehow you've stumbled across one of his songs uh, through the years, and you'll have some idea of who we're talking about today. Uh, Jamie, you take the floor first as we as we dive into the artist, and we want you to tell us uh, why you love Elton John, how you first got into them uh, into him, I should say, and why anyone else should care. About the music of Elton John.
2: Well, Jeff is such a music snob. I can't tell. I can't tell if that's intended as an insult that my my tastes <laughs> are so uh, are so pedestrian. But um, Elton John, where to begin? You know, I think he is pop music. I think when you when you think of you know what is pop music, uh, the breadth of it, um, it's it's Elton John. He almost created the genre. Um, I was introduced to him like most of the music that I came to love uh, through my dad and through his through his um, you know old uh, cassette tape collection. Mm-hmm. And I remember it distinctly. It was the greatest hits volume two of Elton John, the one with him in a cricket uniform uh, wielding a cricket bat <laughs> at night. Um, and so I kind of came into Elton John's sort of you know middle almost and then sort of late period music. I, I grew up you know, I was born in 1983. so this would have been in the late 80s, early 90s. So it was Greatest Hits Volume 2 was the, was the first introduction. It had, you know, Leave On on it, Someone Saved My Life Tonight, Grow Some Funk of Your Own, the cover of Lucy in the Sky with So his so his, his middle period... You know, contemporaneous with, with this was um, uh, the real decline of Elton John. I mean, in the in the '90s, certainly. Um, uh, so it took me a while before I actually, you know, got into the the, the great period, uh, his, his his early work from you know '68, '69 to the mid '70s, when he just came out with um, such an amazing uh, c- collection of of albums. So it wasn't really until later, I think, in my musical maturation. That I really came to appreciate um, just how great of, a, of, of an artist he is, and you know why I'm still listening to him, I think his, to- his songs are just are, are, are timeless. Um, he's also one of the most amazing performers uh, we have. I mean, certainly in the past 50 years. I mean, the guy is 71 years old now. He's on, I think, his fifth farewell tour. <laughs> um, he continues to perform, you know, sold-out stadiums around the world. It's just incredible at, at, at his age. Um, the musical range is incredible here. I mean, you you have everything from blues and gospel influence to country. There's a country concept album that I'm sure will, that I know we'll be talking about, to hard rock, to softer rock, to disco. There's a disco album, if you're into that, and I kind of am. Uh, the glam rock. Um, it's just, uh, it's just an incredible range, and... Um, his his uh, his desire to experiment, not only musically but also just with ridiculous costumes. I mean, you know, dressing up as Donald Duck in Central Park, <laughs> or or Mozart. It was actually Mozart, I believe, not Bach, that he dressed up as. Um, and it really listening to him, it, it sort of sparked uh, an interest in British music, uh, new wave music. Um, and then also sort of a broader kind of anglophilia. I became really interested in, in, in UK contemporary history and, and literature, and I worked a summer in the British Parliament, um, and I've written for a couple of British newspapers, and I kind of, in retrospect, attribute that, weirdly, to Elton John. Um, and then something else that I didn't really reflect upon until preparing for this podcast, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a gay guy, and I think that Elton John was, was probably the first openly gay person I'd ever sort of heard about or even knew about. Um, and he's probably, now that I think about it, maybe the most famous gay person in the world. It's hard to think of a, a more famous uh, a gay public figure than Elton John. And he's, you know, he's flamboyant and unapologetic about it. It took him a while to get there, as we're sure we'll discuss, but he's um, become a very important figure. And uh, certainly with his, his his contributions to AIDS uh, research, and he's and he's also I think broken down a lot of barriers for gay people. I mean, he has a, fr- a weird friendship with you know Rush Limbaugh. He performed mm-hmm. his wedding, and then there was that famous um, uh, friendship that he developed with with, with Eminem at a time when Eminem was being uh, pilloried for homophobic lyrics. He performed together at the Grammys. Um, so you know I think he's often Elton John's often uh by musical snobs not like jeff but other musical snobs that kind of write him off as a as a schlock figure as kind of a, a spinner of you know um very kind of bubblegum pop tunes but i think he's a lot more than that um i think he's really one of the great musical artists of our of our time and i'm really excited to uh, talk about him
1: What if I told you that the hardest working man in show business wasn't the godfather of soul, James Brown, but rather was a chubby, nerdy, flamboyantly homosexual Brit named Reg Dwight? That is my contention on this show today. Because I truly do believe, especially when you look at the early 70s output of Elton John, that this guy was the hardest working man in show business. And it wasn't just on his albums. It was in his live performances, too. Jamie mentioned this. It isn't just the the ridiculous outfits and all that. Elton John was the kind of guy. He was Jerry Lee Lewis on stage. He He would climb the piano. He would play it upside down. He would do every single thing conceivably possible he could. To get a rise out of the audience, the man was like a Roman candle, just flaming, I guess, in multiple (laughs) ways, going off. And the energy, the pure energy, the unquenchable energy that he brought to his music during that era alone sets him apart and makes him worthy of being remembered. Uh, but I guess the, the other thing is, you know, for me, I got into Elton John kind of the same way that Jamie did. You know, you, you, you hear him on classic rock radio, you hear the stuff that's actually be, was still being played currently. Gosh, I remember the Lion King soundtrack for crying out loud. I remember the one, and I guess we all kind of cringed. Or, you know, maybe some people wept to tears, but I remember the Princess Diana tribute. But then I went back to my dad's record collection. He had Elton John's greatest hits, you know, and uh, my dad was was always f- full of really crank interpretations of Elton. John songs. He thought Madman Across the Water was about Richard Nixon. Um, he thought that Daniel was about Daniel Ellsberg, uh, which is makes no sense, but you gotta understand my dad really hated Nixon growing up. Uh, so I I got into him that way. But it was only when later on that I, I realized that he was so much more than just a singles act. These albums are amazing. There are so many gems, and that's kind of the reason I was so looking forward to doing this show. I did a really long tweet storm about Elton John not too long ago where I talked about all the incredible gems hidden away in his discography. This man made albums. Some of the songs were hit and miss, some of Bernie's lyrics were a little bit funny. The guy definitely learned as he went along. But man, everything. From yeah, from from right from the start, really, all the way up, you know, through the '70s, is worth hearing if you like music, because as uh, you know, Jamie also pointed out, Elton John was an autodidact. Everything that he had in his record collection, and his record collection must have been immense, mm-hmm. ended up coming out onto his albums. He was willing to do anything and try everything. But the other thing I want to say, and of course you have to talk about this when you talk about Elton John, is Bernie Taupin. <laughs> You know, they are a pair forever, even though they split off from one another in the late 70s and didn't really kind of reunite permanently until the 80s. And when they did, they, they really weren't the same. You know, it, you know, you know the, the real true fire had gone out of, of their hearts, I think. Um, but when you think of Elton John, he's the man who writes the music the whole the whole thing that happened with them is that Elton John was kind of playing in bands he he was you know playing in a band called Bluesology in the early and mid 60s and then he he ended up you know in, in I think Long John Baldry's backing band uh Baldry was also gay um so I think the, you know they they bonded over that uh and then he decided, you know, I want to be a songwriter. I, I want to write songs. But his problem is that I don't know how to write lyrics. Elton John has always been very, very upfront about that. He's like, I don't write words. It's just not my thing. I can write music. And and how? So how lucky was it that he, um, through perfect perfect kismet, happens to be matched up with a guy who you more or less literally fell off the turnip truck coming to London? A hick from the sticks – as 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 far as you know that gets in you know English parlance, a guy named Bernie Toppin grew up in rural England. His dad was an independent farmer. He was born on a farm that was converted into a hospital. He was a bumpkin who read books and liked poetry, and thought to himself, well, I guess I'll try writing poetry too. And he wrote it about as well as you might expect some guy from, like, you know, Lincolnshire to write poetry, which is to say, not that well. <laughs> but man, he tried, and he worked hard, and he worked constantly, he got better and better at it, he came to London, he signed up with Dick James, and he said, I want to I want to write songs, I want to write lyrics, here are my lyrics, match me up with a songwriter. And they said, well, we got this guy, Reginald Dwight, And they met, they hit it off. Reg said, you know what? This name isn't going to really catapult me to success. And he changed it to Elton John and they started writing songs together. And that is literally the story of how Elton John became who he is today. That happens in 1968. And of course, the funny thing about it is if you listen to those early singles and that first album, Empty Sky, which wasn't even released in America for decades, um, Man, they had a learning process. <laughs> have you guys ever heard Lady Samantha, which is I think their first ever single? It's uh it's on the box set. It's actually a bonus track on Empty Sky 2. Uh, it is the it's the funniest thing. You, you you just have to love it. You have to love it because it, it has that that winsome innocence of a guy who Who's never really written a lot of songs before but thinks he's a songwriter so it's about like oh the old the old crone who wanders the moors and all the children laugh at her and think she's a witch but she's just a poor old lady with a broken heart who pines for her lost love oh it's a stupid stupid song <laughs> but it's still actually kind of great it's got a big big pop hook elton john even at that young age knew how to write songs the
3: ladies oh. And with a note.
1: the same thing with their next single it's me that you need and then they put out an album and that album is called empty sky and my god that album sucks does anybody (laughs) have any opinions on empty sky because i got one good thing to say about it and a lot of criticism
2: i don't you know i i really have to endorse what you just said there's 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 not much on here i think it's best best uh left um not remembered
0: I will Scott. simply say I think you're going to talk about Skyline Pigeon if I if I'm guessing no, correctly. No, no, oh, I think okay.
1: Skyline Pigeon is terrible. <laughs> he <laughs> likes that song. A lot of people he like does. that song. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, played and f- show. I I
0: don't, yeah, and it's, it's a harpsichord. I think on that. If it were piano, it might have sounded a bit different. I think the title track is okay. It's it's a little long and overwrought, and none of the pieces really fit together the right way. There's some organ and there's a bunch of flute on several tracks. Um, but
1: the, nothing, so nothing says late sixties quite like inappropriate flute. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not,
0: Nigel Olson uh, drums, so at least we have that to, to kind of pull us forward to the to the next iteration of, El, of Elton John. But this uh, this first album again, pending with Jeff has to say next I, I i would say you know the title track which is the first track empty sky might be the only one that i, I would say take a listen at least hear what's going on in the first album
1: it's funny to, to hear them it, it's it's funny it's like looking at people's baby pictures right <laughs> you know you, you know where you know elton john and bernie Thompson were gonna go and very quickly as a matter of fact so it's it's kind of charming to look at how much they struggled and how cloddish these early songs are. Empty Sky, as you said, it's like this, it's the opening song title track. It's like a blues rock epic, which is not what you might think Elton John is best suited to. <laughs> You'd be wrong about that, actually. It's just that he has to do good ones. This one is not good. <clears throat> the rest of the stuff is just uh, like weird experiments. People. People who don't understand that their strengths are writing music because they think they're supposed to come up with like little gimmicky you know ideas each time out. But there's one piece on this album that makes you realize there was there was promise, that there was gonna be something coming from these guys. And it's the last song on the album it's called Gulliver stupid lyric, again Bernie, those early lyrics, man he was just, you know, he was a poetaster. that's a great word for you he <laughs> was a poet, he was a poetaster. drink deeply from the well of poetry or not at all, because a little poesy is a dangerous thing so don't worry about the lyrics but that melody, those chords that Elton John comes with, especially in that chorus, that's classic era Elton John, that's classic early style Elton John that is reproduced nowhere else on this record and then of course they have to go ruin it by like putting some lengthy pseudo reprise of every other song on this album every other song on this album is crap so why would you (laughs) want to hear little excerpts of them again but i'm saying if you go listen to golf you can find it on youtube there on that chorus that's the moment that elton john came into focus The funny thing about it is how little time it took so you have this one bad album and it's almost like yeah. i don't know what they did did they, did they go away to the country and like get it together in the countryside the way british bands did did they smoke an awful lot of dope i don't know what it is that brought them into focus but the next album is one of the biggest albums of Elton John's career, and most people think of it as his debut album because it is the self-titled Elton John record. Well, and um, and because Empty Sky wasn't available
0: in the U.S. for a while, right? Or
1: right, exactly. Releases, yeah. And so, like, when, it, it, his first appearance ever was was promoting this one in Tumbleweed Connection in the middle of 1970 in the United States, and then in comes this guy literally parachuting on stage, wearing like you know you know glitz pants and goggles and and playing the piano like. A psychopath and everybody thought he'd be like a sensitive singer songwriter when you look on the cover there's that half lit shadowed face of his on the cover and you think, "Ooh, this is a very sensitive this is james taylor oh no not so my friend you <laughs> might get that impression from the first song on the record which is actually one of my least favorite hits of elton john's entire career yeah. everyone on the planet loves yeah. your song john lennon said he thought it was one of the best songs that had been written since the breakup of the beatles and that is high praise indeed from a man who knew how to write hit songs but i'm going to be the guy to say like This is the best Bernie lyric on that record. It's very kind of subtle, and I think I like the halting meter of it. But I don't like the music. I don't like the melody. I think it's kind of a clergy mess. And so I welcome you to all tell me why I'm wrong.
2: I disagree. Uh, I think your song is one of the greatest love songs of all time. And uh, it definitely deserves its status as the first hit single uh, that Elton John had. Um, obviously, this is you know totally subjective, but um, I think it, it's it's earned its it's earned its place in the in the pantheon of, of of the work of Elton John. But there are other great songs on this album too, which you know we we can we can get onto that as well. I don't know if Scott has anything more to say. Yeah, about go for it. Go, go, no, go no, ahead. No, no, yeah. take the wheel, Jeremy. Favorite. My I think my favorite Elton John song of all time is on this album, and that's "Take Me to the Pilot." Oh which, yes. Which um, I'm sorry to spoil it for everyone so early, but I mean this is. This has everything, you know. This is a this is a gospel song, it's a rock song, it's got an uh, an, an orchestra behind it, um, and then you know, as as I was preparing for this podcast, I realized that like many Elton John songs, uh, I have no idea what the lyrics mean,
1: and I don't think Bernie or Elton did either. Bernie literally uh, said, "He literally said that." He's like, "I have no yeah. flipping idea what these words." mean. He uh, I he does, so you're he has, in good company, Jamie.
2: Yeah, and he, he's, he's compared himself to Baudelaire and, and Rimbaud. And, you know, those, those were guys who were just basically throwing out scat. And that's kind of what this is, lyric-wise. But it's such a great song. And, um, you know, he's done it live many times, and there's a lot of live recordings of it, but I really think the original recording off this album um, is is the best version of it.
3: I am not a stranger Take me to the pilot Take me to the team Take me to the pilot
0: And I'll actually defend your song as well. I I I think it's a it's a very uh, innocent love song, right? That, you know, if I were a sculptor, and then of, and then Elton laughs, you know. But then again, no. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this feeling that you're, you're you're not quite good enough for the person you're you're trying to attract. Um, and a, and a kind of a stumbling, halting, you know, anyway, the thing is, what I really mean. Uh, yeah. And then coming straight out, you know, with with a very straight sentiment. Of, you're the sweetest, yours are the sweetest eyes I've ever seen. I think it all works together very well, actually. The piano, guitar, Buckmaster strings, kind of a sh- little shuffle rhythm and drums. Uh, I think your song is a, is a good song. Uh, echoing Jamie on Take Me to the Pilot, it's what I call Elton's very first Elton Boogie song. And and that power of just having Elton John and the piano straight and those hard hammering piano riffs that start that song off. It's fantastic. I will spend a second to focus on Border Song, which I think is, might be my favorite song on the album. I I, I just really, really love Border Song. Um, One of those songs that for a long, long time I had no idea what the name of was because that was pre-internet and, and, and you know right. the DJ didn't tell you then how were you supposed to know <laughs> right uh, I mean
1: it's a spiritual for, for most people it's just called Holy Moses right. I've been deceived <laughs> <to> <you. laughs>
0: uh, Aretha Franklin covered it it's got that kind of soul feel to it that instrumental section with the choir uh, singing background is just heavenly um, that, that you know that key piano phrase that repeats and, and, and takes you through border song it is wonderful Uh, And I think that's my favorite song on, on the album. Uh, and then The Cage, I, I mentioned, too. Very funky song with, with some horns and that, that falsetto, an early Elton falsetto with the, ah, ooh, ooh. Um, all those songs are great. And this is a massive jump forward. Now, now Bernie's lyrics are still a step behind, I think, Elton's <laughs> musical progression on the second album. But there are, I mean, your song, Take Me to the Pilot, Border Song, and, and The Cage are, are four that, that would stand up anywhere in, in his in his career
2: and no shoe strings on louise is not only a great song but it's a really good Mick Jagger impersonation i was about to say that
1: yes it's a total rolling stones like you know pardon the language but it's a kicker strut it is it is it is like sweet virginia basically and that's two years before exile on main street i might point out the same kind of loping you know like no shoe strings on louise that's exactly the way jagger sings like you probably got that at inflection off of dear doctor off of beggar's banquet or something (laughs) like that or maybe um you know country honk from let it bleed but yes and the the connection between the stones and elton john was was uh you know that's not an imagined one elton john loved performing stone songs in concert on his live album that that comes up soon uh he does a just a rip roaring version of honky tonk women um but uh yeah great song I think scott kind of stole my thunder with border song that might actually even make my top five at the end of the show i think that's one of the finest things they ever did Mm -hmm. certainly the finest song on this album finest early song from their career but there are a surprising number of great tunes on this album uh, that people don't really ever focus on. I think it's like one draggy one. It's got first episode at Hyanton, yeah. which is, you yeah. know, like, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just like some weird buildings roaming. Um, You know, Bernie's writing about some romantic encounter he had when he was uh, probably 16 years old or something like that. And it's not very interesting. And Elton doesn't really come up with very interesting music. But I'm going to tell you one that really kind of, uh, and this is, you know, a personal autobiographical, but that really grows on you is... Uh, um, once you have a kid is the greatest discovery is uh, it's a song. Uh, I I don't know if it was autobiographical from Bernie's perspective, but man, it just, it just reaches, plunges its arms deep into my heart and plucks the strings <laughs> where, you know, it's like the greatest discovery you, 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 you What's all the hugger mugger about? What's all the fuss about? You walk into the, the bedroom and there are your parents holding up a little baby and saying, this is your brand new brother. This is your brand new brother, and that's the greatest discovery in the world to find that you've got a new friend, you know, and you know, a, a new family member to care for. And boy, I don't know why. It's a, such a simple sentiment, but it works. It works so well, and it works so well the way Elton sings those final lines in the song.
4: His puzzled
3: head tipped to one side. Amazement swims in those bright green eyes, glancing down upon this thing. Make strange sounds, strange sounds that sing in those silent, happy seconds that surround the sound of this event. A parent's smile is made in moments they have made for you a friend.
1: I think the last thing I'd want to say about this is to talk about Paul Buckmaster who scored this album and of course a lot of uh, his upcoming records. Uh Buckmaster gets a lot of stick from critics, got a lot of got a, a lot of criticism at the time for, you know, the weirdness and sort of the overly elaborate and uh so they would say pompous, you know, tone to a lot of his string and horn arrangements. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't give him credit for is how he was also pretty avant-garde and weird. And that's no better heard than on "60 Years On," which is, is the other real highlight of this record, in my opinion. Another great live song. Uh, on, on when Elton played it live, it was a big piano ballad. But of course, on the record, it's a, it's arranged for the strings and for acoustic guitar, and the lyrics. The lyrics again are Bernie, you know, early Bernie Toppin. He's just basically moaning about how sad it is to grow old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, and that's yeah. It must really suck to have like your old faithful dog wandering down with you to the to the <laughs> general store when you're an old man. But come on, you know, don't whine about it so much. Um, but the the strings on that are really bizarre. All these very discordant, the, the very discordant opening that then fades into the song. And then you have you know the strings that interact. There's this little weird interlude in the middle of it. And then it comes back into the piece. It's a really kind of adventurous arrangement. Uh, Buckmaster doesn't get a lot of credit for those sorts of chances that he took with the music. And I guess neither do Elton or Bernie for allowing him to do that. I'm really impressed with that. I'm really impressed with most of this album, even though it's in a mode, sort of the singer-songwriter mode, that didn't really represent where Elton's heart was. And that's the funny thing. You think of Elton John, you think of him now, because most of us young people, like me and Jamie and and actually you, Scott, we're all kind of the same age here. We grew up listening to him play, like, you know, soporific ballads on the radio like the one and stuff like that you know like you know kind of easy listening stuff that isn't very challenging what is really difficult for people who have that whole 90s Lion King era Elton John in their heads as their formative experience is to realize that he was a rocker at heart. His real heart was located at Take Me to the Pilot. You know, that's what he loved doing. And that's the kind of stuff that he really was fascinated by. It's where he grew up in, it's where he came out of. And he brought that sort of rock kind of like uh, an, an attempt to do a new thing, which is sort of this piano-based rock and soul fusion um, that maybe starts with Hey Jude by the Beatles. You know, Charlie Cook talked about that on our episode of the Beatles, where it's like, you know, you know McCartney started this entire phenomenon with that one song, and, you know, maybe he, he peaked it there, because how are you going to top Hey Jude? Well, if anybody did, it was Elton John. And you see that with the next album that Elton comes out with which is, for reasons I still to this day do not fully understand one of the most obscure in his discography an album that, you know, if you know the hits, if you know the stuff you've heard on the radio, if you know classic era Elton John, but you know you don't buy the albums, you probably actually don't know that Tumbleweed Connection even exists
3: I took myself a
1: say it right now tumbleweed connection might be the greatest elton john album of all time if it isn't number one i would say it's uh, it's number two it's such a great record it's country rock boogie soul that's clearly based off of bernie's obsession with rural and western america it's a total nick off of the band's self-titled album from 1969 There's barely a single minute of it that is less than exhilarating. And it blows my mind most bitterly that most people don't even know this record exists.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was one of those people. um, I wouldn't say I didn't know it exists, but I'd never really listened to it. Um, And and listening to it again uh, in preparation for this, I was really taken aback just by how good it is. And it's not what you think of when you think of Elton John. It is sort of, you know, American country rock but with a sort of Elton John inflection to it, which means um, there's a bit more piano, there's a bit more blues to it. And again, the lyrics are um, a little odd, uh, thanks to Bernie. But it's also very cinematic. And I felt like, you know, I, I was watching like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or some other kind of Western movie. Um, there are actually some really good songs on here that stand alone, even though I don't, I, I don't think there were any singles off of it. But I think, you know, Amarena could have been a single. Um, it's it's a it's a it's it's a great tune, um, love song sounds like the Beatles sounds like a Beatles track I couldn't quite place, um, but yeah it's definitely something I I highly recommend and a, a, a kind of surprise as someone who thought he knew Elton John pretty well uh, to hear this was a was a pleasant surprise.
0: Scott, I entered. Elton John, much the same way you guys did, which is my dad's record collection. He had Honky Chateau and Captain Fantastic, and that's some of the first stuff I listened to, and then I was in classic rock radio, and so I heard Rocket Man and Goodbye Yellow Road and Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting, and all those songs over and over again, and I, I had to take a break. I, I had to stop listening to Elton John for a while. I just had to. The songs were were, were 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 just seared into my mind. I, I did not want to hear them anymore. When I came back is when I started examining the Elton John albums, not just the singles that were being played on the radio, and one of the first ones that I came to was Tumbleweed Connection. And um, I am totally comfortable telling you that this is Elton John's best album. I, I think it is his best album. Um, as you guys said, you know this loose concept about the American West, two British guys who
1: really are kind of guessing at half the things in the lyrics as they go along, but... Inspired. Neither of them had been to the United right. States right. at the time this was written and recorded. I don't even think they'd ever left England.
4: <laughs>
0: I
1: think they'd literally not even gone to the continent at that point.
0: But uh, Ballad of a Well-Known Gun, which which starts the album, is so good. Uh, I, I, immediately, I think I noticed the, the production difference. A little less hazy, more direct and clear. The guitar strikes through here. The, the kind of Ron Wood faces-esque riffs in Ballad of a Well-Known Gun. Big Chorus Dusty Springfield is doing some uh, some backing vocals there. 2/4 uh, tempo. It just it sounds so good and uh and that repeated phrase over the the coda of the song. Uh, there goes a well-known gun. Uh I love the way this album starts. No
3: I'm saying that's a change.
0: steal everything from jeff because i would mention everything on this album um jimmy mentioned emerina which is a standout standout track excellent rhythm section work i think the first time that murray and and olsen played together bass and drums on an elton song um country comfort is just phenomenal a, a humongous chorus that just wiggles into your brain it doesn't go away violin and steel guitar i think the only songs in on the album featuring those two instruments harmonica is there too some of the um some of the uh, uh, random observations of, of bernie taupman here in the rocking chair creaking on the porch the old fat goose flying across the sticks uh, it's all in country comfort which uh, rod stewart would, would cover uh, about a year afterwards and then i i also want to mention burn down the mission which is likely going to be in my five songs i think burn down the mission is just one of the great great elton john songs Complicated musically, I think there's four or five key changes in just the first half of the song. The way it effortlessly moves from ballad to something more up tempo to a full-on rocker and right back down again—it kind of lays you back down right in there for verse two. It's actually a good story told by Bertie Taupin in in the lyrics, um, and boy, I love "Burn Down the Mission." What? There's not really, uh, there's not really a bum track on *Tumbleweed Connection* though. I'm not the biggest fan of, of *Come Down in Time*, which is the second track on the album. But I, I, I am fully comfortable saying Tumbleweed, *Tumbleweed Connection* is is the best, the best Elton John album.
1: I. I think it may not be my number one but by god it's close and and i'm so happy to push it because again as i said it just people don't realize that this album even exists and it's so strong i think it's also really kind of interesting if you if you find like the whole bernie top and elton john relationship fascinating sort of bernie's progression as a songwriter you can hear it all on this album You know, so you know, you know. There's an album, of course, a very famous one. Later on, number one, the first album ever to debut at number one on the charts, called Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Well, Elton is obviously Captain Fantastic, and who's the Brown Dirt Cowboy? Well, that's Bernie. (laughs) Why is he the Brown Dirt Cowboy? Well, because he's really fascinated with like these sort of rural Americana you know, kind of, you know, shtick. And why was he? Well, it's because that's where he came from. Bernie and fundamentally always was a guy who wrote about what he knew and how he lived and what existed in his heart. He, he wasn't sort of an imaginative. I don't mean that in the, like, he's not creative. He's a very creative guy. But he wasn't, he wasn't writing flights of fancy. He was right. writing about his experience. And it, it's hilarious. When you hear him try to do sort of an Old West-themed album... <laughs> But he keeps on these ticks keep on entering the lyrics. And then you realize that he's actually just writing about his childhood. So country comfort, that's supposed to be kind of like the rural, you know, Midwest or the West. You know, good old country comfort of my bones. But then you listen to the lyrics more closely and you realize he's not writing about any place that actually exists in america especially for those of us who actually are americans and and know what rural america is like no he's, he's writing about rural england that last verse that you mentioned scott you know the old fat goose is flying across the sticks the hedgehogs done yeah. in clay between the bricks <laughs> there ain't no hedgehogs in america that's a very british rural image the cross the valley moves the herdsman with his torch again that's not a that's not a very American concept. That's you know rural England, you know with the mountains and the vales. You know you know that's a that's an image that only comes from his childhood, and so all that stuff ends up sneaking into a record uh, that is supposed to nominally be about you know the American West, a- and it's inevitable because again this is Bernie Taupin sitting and trying to write about stuff that he'd never really experienced in a first person sense, but it doesn't matter. Because it, when it hits that final that final chorus, you know. Good old Country Comfort in my bones, just the sweetest sound my ears have ever known. And all those harmonies are flying across the spectrum of your ears at the pedal steel guitar in the background. There's a harmonica playing in the left channel. And then you just hear Country Comfort. It's a truck that's going back home. And Elton is playing these sweet country soul cadences on the piano. And you just sit there and you're in awe. And then you ask yourself, why have I never heard this song before? <laughs> Adiós. Why, why is this song just some obscurity that didn't exist prior to that? And I asked the same thing about Amarina. You know, oh. Jamie mentioned Amarina. I will say this right now. I might say Amarina is my favorite Elton John song of all time. Period. Wow. Number one. I mean, I could nominate so many for that. <clears throat> we'll get to them. But man, every second of Amarina, it's just a song that takes its time. It's long. It's like five and a half minutes long. It lopes slowly across that spectrum of time for you. It does not rush but it starts with this you know the quiet piano intro and then it rolls in with the guitarist kicking in and then when, again you have that, that that classic early bernie touch where he throws in a really english image that isn't western at all and when it rains the rain comes down washing out the cattle town he grew up in a cattle market by the way and and she's far away somewhere lying in her eider down down, How British a word is the phrase <laughs> eiderdown? That is not American. That is strictly English. And Bernie couldn't help it. He just had to write about what he knew. I Yeah, this beautiful fusion—not only of lyrics and music, but soul and performance. That's the only song on the album where Elton's touring band plays all together. You know, you know Dave Ol- Olson and, and Nigel, and it's perfect. And it's just so. Um, Nobody else made music like that at the time, and I don't understand again uh, why people don't appreciate it as much. And then in the last of course, I'll just say you know I can I can mention everything on this album, but I'll uh, I'll tell you you know how lyrics become superfluous is on a song like My Father's Gun, clearly written as a ripoff of The Night They Drove all Dixie Down by the band. You know from this point forth I'm going to wear my father's gun, and he's <laughs> trying to write about like some Southerners like I wouldn't bury my father in any place where Yankees stand, and, and then he. I'd like to know where the riverboat sails tonight. Well, first of all, buddy, riverboats don't sail, and they don't go to New Orleans during the Civil War because (laughs) the Union had New Orleans from 1861 onwards. Oh, this is what happens when you write from reading a couple of books and don't do your research. Bernie, you you did not not read as thoroughly as Robbie Robertson did, but you know what? It doesn't matter because the music – The music, the melody that Elton John writes for that chorus. I'd like to know where the riverboat sails tonight. That will just carry you on through every other qualm you might have with the lyrics. And you just sit there awestruck when you hear the gospel chorus coming in at the end of that song. And again, I just keep asking myself this question. Why are these songs not... Why is... Crocodile Rock famous and not my <laughs> father's gun. I like to know. Um, I, I, I got nothing but praise for a tumbleweed connection. Even though you do still see the seams in Tompins' writing, he was writing from imagination. That would soon stop. He would, he would get a lot more clever. Kind of really starting with that next record, and of course that next record is Madman Across the Water. Instead of me rambling on, Scott, do you want to you want to you want to intro Madman for us and tell us what you think of it? Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned,
0: I mean this is the begin the beginning of the period where. Uh, Elton John is the hardest working man in show business. These albums come fast and furious. Uh, there's tours um, and, and there's a whole lot of writing going on between uh, Bernie Taupin and Elton John. And I, I, maybe before we should go further, we should mention how this works. Uh, by and large, up until I think the past couple of years, literally the past couple of years, this relationship always worked in one direction. Uh, Bernie Taupin would write the lyrics and you know, literally send them to Elton John who would get them and then write the melody write the music and there are these tales uh perhaps some legendary but i've you know some reading says it's it's true you know where elton would would take 15 minutes and create some of the most you know well-known songs of all time around these bernie taupin lyrics and so it was these guys weren't in the same studio together they weren't crafting it together it was you know the lyrics were done they got sent to elton john he did the music, and that is how that partnership worked from day one, and again until a couple of years ago when I think Bernie started hanging out in the studio just a little bit. So, Tumbleweed Connection—it's—it's um, a, it's a good collection of songs. I mean, it's not—I don't like it as much as what would what would come after and what would come directly before in in Tumbleweed Connection. But the overall quality is pretty high. It is heavily front-loaded. Uh, most people would know the first song and many know the second song, and I think they're the two best songs on the album, Tiny Dancer and uh, Levon. Tiny Dancer got uh, featured in Almost Famous, used in a very famous scene in which the plane is, is, uh, is flying and the, and the band is, is about to tear apart and they sing the chorus together, right? Listening to it um, with fresh ears, I, I'm amazed by what a a model of restraint Tiny Dancer is in waiting ever so patiently for that payoff. And I think that's why it works so well in, in the movie, too. You get you know, the beginning of the song, and every now and then a little pedal steel enters, some strings enter, but there's this... There's just... Everything is building up. There's just so much waiting on this chorus. And even before you get to the chorus... You got to get through the, you know, the oh how it feels so real part. You're still not taking off yet. And then you still wait because the softly and slowly is drawn out a whole lot and then finally hold me closer tiny dancer. phrase, you know in the second half the you know, blue Jean baby comes back for the second half of the song the strings become more prominent in the second half of the song, but I, I, I think the the commitment to making us wait for the payoff makes tiny dancer work so well uh, leave on uh, the very next song kind of burn down the mission ask uh, right in, in, in its in its setup and the way it's created with with this Elton and the piano to start. Um, You know, that that part that that Bernie writes, he was born a pauper to upon. when the New York Times said God is dead. Um, You got to like that part. You have to. Later on in the album, let's see, uh, Holiday Inn, I kind of like. uh, A song about life on the road being a big music star. And I really like the last track, which is very short, uh, called Goodbye. And it, it ends with just this this repeated phrase of I'll waste away, I'll waste away, I'll waste away. I like those quite a bit. Some of the middle songs don't work. I, I think Rotten Peaches is very overwrought. I don't like the lyrics that Bernie gave for that song. Um, all the nasties uh, I don't like so much. I think the choir in that song doesn't fit very well at all. I think it takes away from some of what Elton's trying to do. So it's a fine collection of songs. Very front-loaded. I mean, if you only hear "Tiny Dancer" and "Levon," you've you've heard the best, I think, of Mad Men Across the Water. Someone is going to uh, to talk about the title track, I'm sure, though that's not one of my absolute favorites. Jamie,
2: yeah, um, this is a, a decent album. I wouldn't rank it near the top. Um, I'm with you on "Tiny Dancer." Uh, I think it was really immortalized, actually, and almost famous for you know a new generation of Elton John. Listeners, maybe people who didn't know him so well, I think it really, um, it's, it's hard to think of this song with not thinking about that movie. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. And it
2: really is a, it's a really kind of great California song. You know, like early California in the 70s, women in California doing drugs on the road. It's really evocative of that, of that time period. Um, Levon, I think, is just a great, um, sort of quintessentially Bernie and Elton John collaboration in that it's just about an ordinary guy, Who works at a parking garage but it's this operatic and vast song melody Mm -hmm. you know and you and it's and it's it seems to be about so much more than that but really it's just about a guy who works in a parking garage named levon um and that seems to be like a lot of elton john works they're about regular people doing regular things but um very intense and 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 uh at least musically, um, so much more significant than than about the seemingly sort of pedantic or or simple stories that they're telling. Um, I like all the nasties. Uh, I like the, I, I'm I'm a sucker for the gospel choir when, when <laughs> whenever Elton John brings it in and sort of echoes to take me to the pilot and border song with that. Um, uh, it's written to the to the, all the people. Maybe the the music critics. Um, it's unclear who the nasties are exactly. Um, expecting him to be something that he's not? Is it, is it that they're expecting him to be a certain type of pop star that he doesn't want to be? Or is this an allusion to the, to the closet? Unclear. Could I
3: know the way they want me in the way they publicize If they could turn the focus off to the image in their eyes Maybe it would help them understand Maybe it would help them Help them understand Maybe it would help them Help them understand That a full-blooded city boy Is now a full-blooded city man
1: There's so many um interesting aspects to the song Levon in particular that are worth unpacking because to me that that's where Bernie you know, matures as a lyricist so like you know his those early texts are a little bit on the nose they're very direct sometimes they're too direct and they reveal that he didn't do enough research remember when New Orleans was captured Bernie those sorts <laughs> of things but then you get a song like leave on where if you scan that text and try to read it literally you're not going to come up with much sense we want to do it is leave on? You know, he sells cartoon balloons. His town. He named his child Jesus. I mean, what does any of this mean? But it makes sense emotionally on a much more indirect level. About to me, it's always been a song about <coughs> child abuse uh, and and or you know mistreated children repeating the cycle of mistreatment. You know, you know, Levon was born a pauper to a pawn on a Christmas day when the New York Times said God was dead and the wars begun. So that's what 1941, and then. You know, he is his child, Jesus. Well, I don't know why he calls him that. It just sounds nice in the song, I suppose. Just like Levon. You know, I think Bernie chose Levon because he loved the band. And so he named it after Levon Helm. Also, who is Alvin Tostin? Yeah, 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 yeah. Alvin right, Tosticker right, right. has a son today, and and, and you know Alvin Tosticker—that's a pretty Jewish name. So why is he going to call his son Levon, <laughs> <laughs> which is not a very Jewish name? You know, Levon <laughs> Tosticker. I don't know. If there are many people ever named Levon Tosticker, but but all the all all of that silly stuff kind of just leaves you uh, with this 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 impression of 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 a, of a sad kind of. You're right. It's, 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 it's a depiction of a, a normal person's life in operatic terms, a, a sad child. There's that, that beautiful moment where, uh, the second verse where, you know, and Jesus, he wants to go to Venus, leave Levon far behind, take a balloon, go sailing while Levon slowly dies. That's a, Tough, tough line, a tough verse, and the only thing that saves it is the commitment with which Elton sings it, and the realization that this is a song about like you know generational failures, you know, you know people who 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 aren't treated well as children end up not treating their children well, and. Then, again, and it goes back into that wonderful chorus, and I think I said this back in my old tweet storm a year and a half ago. If you don't like it when Elton sings, he's born a pauper to a pawn on a Christmas day, and you're doing it wrong. You, just, there's something wrong with your brain melodically. That is so soaring. It just, it's still, to this day, I've heard that song, you know, what, you know, 200 times at this point in my life? It still sends a shiver down my spine every single time. And
3: Jesus, he wants to go.
1: tiny dancer that's one of the songs that I wooed my wife with i taught myself to play it literally so i could play it for her she is very tiny she's you know not, not a dancer but uh, uh i'm just going to to say it right now so that you know that song you know you know, Folks, guys out there, you really want to like you know win the heart of a woman. You, know, <laughs> you have a singing voice. Teach yourself to play that on piano, man. Just take the CD and work out the chords. It's tough. It's a very complicated song. It's one of Elton's most complicated piano arrangements, but it's worth it. So you're it's saying it works?
0: It works better than your song if you if you wanna if you're going that. No,
1: direction. It, it it really does. <laughs> it really does. It, it's it, and it's it's by the way you know Bernie gets accused of misogyny in a lot of his lyrics with justification, as I will point out when we get to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, but. But um, this is kind of like a, a beautiful you know, antidote to all of that. It's one of the most – he wrote it about his wife, about um, uh, the woman he met who he would then end up marrying. Um, and that marriage fell apart, which affected some of Elton's later work in fact – but a, what a wonderful tribute to a woman that song is you know you just see that woman she stands off stage she's, she the words she knows the tunes she hums she's singing along with you she knows all the stuff and you just it's it's such a wonderful image such a great lyric from him. And then the other one, I, you know, I don't like this album that much, actually. I think other than those two songs, a lot of the rest of this is kind of gormless mush. But the one that really jumps out at me is Holiday Inn. I'm a sucker for mandolin. I'm a sucker for songs about people who have to fly around for travel. <laughs> this is you know, a life that I, I once led. I don't have to do too much of anymore. My wife still does. But every time Boston at last and the planes touching down k- kicks on, I feel that song. I feel that song when he says, slow down, Joe, we're a rock and roll band. You know, I spent all my time in a dozen odd bands and you ain't seen nothing till you've been in a motel baby called the Holiday Inn. And then all of these, you know, these very bombastic chords, ba, 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 And then it fades away into this little mandolin guitar breakdown that could have come from an early Rod Stewart or Faze's album. It's just so Beautiful. It's a moment again that's hidden away on these albums that you will never hear. If all you think of Elton John is his hits, and I just wish you could hear the last minute and a half of Holiday Inn, because it's one of those magical little things that just you know that that suggests to me that there is something truly special in the collaboration between these two guys and the band that Elton put together. Oh, interesting thing about it is that it felt like this was an end of an era this is the end of his sort of piano based singer songwriting era this is a dead end in a way He had these great songs like tiny dancer and like leave on um Holiday Inn is is an interesting and very different cameo kind of a preview of what would come next but it seemed like with stuff like Rotten Peaches or Indian Sunset I hate that song it's so long he's playing it on his farewell tour that's
0: one of the few deep cuts like non-hits he's playing in the farewell tour Indian Summer of all things
1: yeah, it's such a bad song to my I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, leaving aside the fact that, yeah, Bernie knows as much about what it feels like to be a Native American <laughs> as he does, you know, to know what it feels like to be like a Midwestern rancher. Uh, but it's just, you know, again, long, gormless, mush. You know, Elton doesn't come up with a lot of good hooks on it. That seems like a dead end, which is what makes the next thing that happens so shocking. And this is really where Elton John becomes Elton Flippin' John. Superstar number one hit-making machine. This is an album called Honky Chateau, and this is an album that I will say is, in fact, the greatest album Elton John will ever make. I dare you to find the bad song, to even find the subpar song on a record that begins with Honky Cat, it ends with Hercules it has a ton of other rem- classic songs from yeah, I Think I'm Gonna Kill Myself The Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters on it and yeah somewhere in the middle there's a little tune called Rocket Man and it just seems like another album track on, a, on an album that is stuffed with nothing but the best work that he ever did I love Honky Chateau so much anybody want to like give me the, the hot take the slate pitch here tell me that I'm wrong
2: I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Um, I wouldn't rank it as one of my favorites. Um, there's really only three songs on this that I you know really like and still listen to. Uh, it's it's honky cat certainly. Um, I like funk, and this is a funky song, um, and it's also a staple really of, of Talpin's theme. You know about a prodigal son leaving the country, moving into the city, and. You know, leaving his old ways and family behind. and that's-
1: Somebody actually told me today that what they like about it is that it's good by Yellow Brick Road, uh, an earlier version of that same song, but yeah. with a much happier touch. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. Same kind of theme.
3: Well, I read some books, and I read some magazines About those high desolies.
2: Obviously Rocket Man, um, you know, a classic, you know, kind of overrated in my mind. It's not one of, it's not one of the, the best Elton John songs, in my opinion. I think it's probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular Elton John song, perhaps. I would have to check the, the charts, but I'm sure it's the top three. Um, and also very, you know, uh, of its time, right? This is just a couple of years after the moon landing. There's all this fascination with the space age, uh, and it's a ballad about an astronaut. Um... And then Mona Lisa's in Manhattan's, which I think is just a great song about someone, again, from the country coming to the city, this time New York, and just being really kind of wowed and, and sort of awed by, by New York City. And um, Mona Lisa's in Manhattan is a great, a great kind of way to describe the sort of diversity and the craziness of, of New York, which is, you know, a unique place.
1: I will say this about Rocket Man. Rocket Man is a song that is so kind of woven into the the musical text of our lives. We we know it. It's a classic. It's a hit. It's a cliche that it's almost impossible to hear it with fresh ears. And that's a shame. Because I think Rocket Man is again another one of those songs that I'm very tempted to put in my top five at the end of the show, and it does have it, it has personal meaning for me as well. Uh, this is a song my dad is probably his favorite Elton John song, and it's one I always remembered because my my dad worked. Uh, my dad was career employee of the CIA, um, and why is that relevant? That's relevant because what he did is he did a lot of technical, technological things um, that you know obviously are not worth getting into here but he always talked to me about like you know in the course of that job he'd always find himself humming the last verse of that song um you know and all the science i don't understand it's just my job five days a week i'm a rocket man i'm a rocket man and that gets to the heart of what that song is actually about it's it's People always accuse it of ripping off Space Oddity by David Bowie, obviously. Gus Dudgeon and Paul Buckmaster, the connections make it inevitable that people are going to draw those lines. But this is a better song than Space Oddity. It's a better song than Space Oddity because it's a different lyrical argument. Bernie, this is one of his best lyrics ever. This is a song that's not about an astronaut. Nominally, it's about an astronaut. But what it's really about is about alienation about a lonely person who works a job that they don't understand they just know it's their duty they're going to do it and then they they feel cut off from the rest of the world the rest of life and they're no longer really sure how they're going to emotionally relate to the rest of the world around them and all they can say is and and again this is why that chorus is just so perfect it doesn't have to make rational sense it makes emotional sense Uh, and i think it's going to be a long long time I think it's going to be a long, long time—a long time until what? Well, you know, in in the song it says, you know, I think it's going to be a long time, you know, before I you know touch down and all that. But but in real, in reality, what that song is about is that I feel like it's going to be a long time until you know I, I can reconnect to to my life emotionally. That is so strong, such an intelligent idea conceived and delivered so simply that it just gets lost in the mega number one hit superstardom of that song, which I think is a shame.
3: And all the I don't understand It's just my job
1: Every other song on this record is great. You know, does anybody talk about Susie? Susie Dramas? That incredible strut, you know, know, the do-do-do-do-do, do-do-do-do-do, so assured. Slave is a song written about slavery by two incredibly British people, and it doesn't humiliate itself. It's so good. I don't understand how they're able to get away with conceits like this. Salvation, Amy, Mellow. There are no bad songs on this. I think I'm going to kill myself is a song that makes me laugh out loud. (laughs) Even today, that song could never be written today in our era of like social media. Sadly, our era of like social media induced suicides and, you know, teen angst and the way we've heightened our feels all amped up to 11, but Oh God, it seems like it's more relevant than ever. Um, but the real one that that sticks with me again, the last one I'll mention is Mona Lisa's in Manhattaners, which is a song as Jamie mentioned about, you know, a guy from the sticks in England coming to New York, but it's about more than that. It's about sort of like the empty, the sort of the sadly empty lives of those rich kids, the sons of bankers and the sons of yeah. lawyers who turn around and say good morning to the night. And he's sitting there as an external observer, It's almost like a Whit Stillman movie. It's like Metropolitan or something like that. You know, he's sitting there and he's watching these people, and you know, he enjoys the fun, but he realizes that I'm not part of this. This is not my life. This is not who I am. I can never be a part of what these people are doing. But still, instead of like condemning them or being nasty about it or you know scoffing at them, uh, there's love in that song. He just says, "I thank the Lord for the people that I've found." Now, and I know that Spanish Harlem now aren't just pretty words to say. I, I'm, I'm here and I experience it, and I'm, I'm thankful for this experience.
3: I thought I knew But now I know the rose trees never grow New York City Subway's
1: subtlety, the speed at which Bernie Thompson grew as a lyricist, and the music that Elton John matched him with to match that growth in lyrical ability reaches a perfection on Honky Chateau, uh, which is why I'm, I'm still kind of obsessed with this album. And, you know, it's not obscure. This is his number one hit album, and yet I still think that there are people these days who just only think of, like, Rocket Man, or they think maybe of Honky Cat, which is a good song, too. They don't realize that every other thing on this record is fantastic. And I am sorry for rambling, Scott. I just <laughs> probably swallowed up everything you wanted to say. In a way, but I, I do
0: have things to add on, uh, on on two of the big ones. Motor Leases and Mad Hatters" is just a phenomenal song. Uh, the, the, the minimal instrumentation makes that, that, that mandolin strike so much harder to, to the gut, right? And I've always heard... This song is like an introverts lament that there's some isolation, but there's not sadness. You're a part of New York City where there are all these other people who are doing their things. And you said sons of bankers and lawyers and they're walking down the street and all. But 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 you're not sure you want to be a part of it because you're not sure that's where you're supposed to be. Um, and so you know i thank the lord there's people out there like you i thank the lord for the people i have found love those lines so much i've always kind of heard that song in that way and uh rocket man it's a coincidence i was reading this week a story um i guess it was probably on twitter it's where i read most things right um about a guy who was at a party with neil armstrong and it was a it was a highfalutin thing with all the people who had done great things and invented whatever and Neil Armstrong's off in the corner talking to this guy and said, you know, I, I, I don't know why I'm here. I, I didn't do anything. I just, I just went where they told me to go. And the guy said, y- you walked on the moon. I, I think you did something. And, that, you know, that, that line, just my job five days a week, made me, made me think of that, that story. The other way, if you want to hear Rocketman with fresh ears, I recommend just putting out a pair of headphones and listening to the acoustic guitar part, which is absolute perfection. That acoustic guitar part in Rocket Man is outstanding. And I'm sorry if you don't get a chill up your spine when that that processed slide guitar uh, strikes throughout the song. Uh, man, I don't know if you like I don't know if you like music so much. I, I I will steal a line from Jeff that I know you tweeted on Honky Cat. Jeff, you know you said, and I'll just say it for you. I I always think because I'm the same way. I always think I don't like Honky Cat that much. And then about fifteen seconds after it starts, you're like da 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 da, 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 da and those horn punches and stabs in the chorus, like okay, yeah, you 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 kind of got me, I guess. I, I do like Honky Cat, um, Susie. How do great. they how do they work those horns and so uh, like organically? It's perfect. <laughs> it's such a tight arrangement. Uh, Susie's very good. And then Salvation's a song that would be like the best track on well, some of the later '70s albums, of course. And it just sort of slides in here as a as an album track. Um, and it's one where I think the full band, that full Elton John band, sounds so good on, on Salvation. Hawkeye Chateau, uh, to me, yeah, is is one of the towering achievements in, in Elton John's career. Uh, Political Beat, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and Jamie Kerchick with us. Brookings Institution visiting fellow author of The End of Europe. Available now on Twitter at Jay Kerchick. Talking about Elton John. And uh, that brings us to 1973, guys. And one called... No,
1: I think we're still in 1972 oh. with uh, Don't Shoot Me. I may have written down the long...
0: I had the right album. I may have written down the wrong year. But yes, yeah. <laughs> Don't Shoot Me. I'm only the only piano player is the, uh, the next one. A, a fun title. I like the title. And you know what? I like
1: the cover, too, actually, of Don't hey, Shoot you Me. You know what? The title and the cover are the best thing about this album. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, the good times couldn't last. They seemed to be a real kind of like a real crescendo of talent. And then, bam, this is that that moment. a Temporary, as it turned out. Cliff dive. But, oh, man, this album is not good because they still had their band together, because Elton was still writing music at a a certain level of competence. um, It's not terrible. But, geez, uh, what the hell happened with this? I don't have almost anything good to say. There's two songs in this record that I really like, and I'll leave those to the end. I don't even care too much about them. Uh, you guys, if you want to talk – anyone who wants to talk about how Crocodile Rock is their favorite song of all time, you go <laughs> for it, man, because ain't for me.
2: It's a terrible song, actually, the more I think about it. I think I enjoyed it when I was a nine-year-old. Um, it's sort of like That's a bar- about right.
1: It's about yeah. pitched to the level of a nine-year-old. Right? <laughs> it's, like a
2: bar, it's like a bar mitzvah song, in fact. I probably, that's probably where I heard it the first time. Um Daniel, you know, okay, as a ballad, I do think it is about a Vietnam vet, not Daniel Ellsberg, as your father rather conspiratorially uh, thought. But um, that's probably the only real highlight. You know, I actually I, I listened to Elderberry Wine the other night in preparation for this. It's, it's sort of underappreciated. It's yeah. it's not bad. Night Creeper some 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 nice horns horns uh, swings in there but yeah other than that there really isn't much that's that's worth that's worth it on this one
0: yeah the, the the songs don't hold together very well as an album and it's 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 somewhat because there are a few places here where Elton's uh taking on various personas uh Midnight Creeper has a very Rolling Stones vibe to it uh High Flying Bird is very Van Morrison uh, vibe to it. Crocodile Rock, of course, harkens back to I guess what some '50s type stuff. I, I I I have always well I shouldn't say that again. As a nine-year-old, I might have liked it. I have I have loathed Crocodile Rock for an awfully long time. There are I, I want to highlight three songs, and at best these are like decent Elton John songs, especially considering what else was happening in this era for him. Elderberry Wine, I, I think, is okay. I don't like the the drum sound; it's a little mushy. It, it, it should punch more. It's, that's true in a couple places on this album. Um, I, there's two songs right near the middle that I don't think are bad uh, Have Mercy on the Criminal and also Texan uh, love song Have Mercy on the Criminal features a pretty good Buckmaster arrangement on strings it's uh, this narrative about what life's like for an escaped prisoner it starts right in the middle of a crescendo before you get into this this kind of slow paced dramatic ballad um, so I think that works pretty well now
3: have you ever seen the white teeth gleam while you lie Oh, oh, damn ground You're taking enough face of a rifle but While the wardens hold you down Gonna be a home year oh, I'm a friend of all who has not a problem. I'm blind
4: to have a chance.
0: In Texan love song, I don't understand people kind of dismiss it. It's um, you know, this this kind of satirical song from the point of view of a, like a Texas good old boy. Uh, we're, we're tough, uh, we're Texan, our necks are good and red. Uh, one of the lyrics, and, 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 and taking shots at the out-of-towners and long-haired hippies and things like that. But I do like the way it, it, it sounds. It sounds I like Elton's uh, uh, musical accompaniment to the Bernie Taupin lyrics on that one. But uh, as I said, those three that I mentioned are probably... Uh, they're, they're my favorites, I think they're the, they're the best of, of not a great lot on um, Don't Shoot Me.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you push yourself. They keep putting mm-hmm. out albums at a reckless pace over these, you know, this short span of years. Uh, it shouldn't have surprised anyone that they were reaching a, a point of exhaustion, and of course then, what do they do next? They put out a flipping double album. But, um... There's really only one song here that I really like. Uh, Daniel is okay. That was, I said there would be two things I'd mention. Daniel is a good song. It's a good, mysterious song. Again, I have you know kind of like a family, parental association with that. I think it's, it's, it's a nice, soft little tune. It's kind of underwhelming as an introduction to the record. But the only other thing that sticks out to me as an album track is, is one that never really gets talked about called Blues for My Baby and Me. That's a great song. That is the only song on this record that sounds ambitious, has a really kind of a fascinating you know, chordal interplay uh, that, that, that Elton comes up with from the beginning. The, the title is so generic that it's just kind of a thing that, that's going to pass you by. It's blues for my baby and me. you just like, well, that's as generic as it gets. But the song itself is good. The melody is good. The piano playing is excellent on that. And yet, almost everything else on this record speaks of utter exhaustion. And you would have, if you were there at the time. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, if I was at the time, you know, listening to the Elton John career, picking up every album as it came out, I thought, well, you know, this is this is the moment where he peaked, you know, and it's all downhill from here. There's about Uh, four more of those points at his career, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, and then what happens? He puts out a a flipping double album uh, that you might have heard of. It's it's sort of well known. It's called Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. It may be like probably one of the most iconic 70s double albums of all time and it is so well loved and so respected that I will start by saying only this that it actually angers me. <laughs> I'm upset by by Goodbye Yellow Brick Road for this reason that if this had been a single record mm. reduced to one album It would have been far and away the best thing Elton John ever released. There would be no arguments, no qualms. You took the best material on this record, put it onto one album, it it would blow the doors off of not only anything else he had ever done, but it would rank up there with the best music of the 70s, and I'd argue maybe the best music of the entire rock era. It's that good. But unfortunately they wrote too much music Bernie wrote too many stupid lyrics so we get an entire side of the album devoted to Bernie hitting on sluts and whores and lesbian lolitas Actually, that that lesbian Lolita song, which is called "All the Girls Love Alice," that's a good song. It's like a really good song. That's like I, I talk about this on Twitter every now and then. Like I still can't believe this song was ever written or released. <laughs> and Elton is playing it today, like on his farewell tour. He still plays it, and I get it because man, the, that is as hard a rock as he ever got. It is just a ball-breakingly great like guitar based track but if you listen to the lyrics of that song they're insane it's about like a 16 year old girl who's a lesbian who seduces the housewives in the neighborhood and what the heck were bernie's women problems when he was writing this music i don't understand that and the dirty little girl where like he literally seems to want to like slap around that dirty little slut. (laughs) and then paint sweet painted lady about a prostitute oh man some of this is just difficult to listen to nowadays um but then of course you have the first part of this record which is you know you know the first six songs on this album are just unimpeachable it opens with funeral for a friend. And then it goes into, uh, what is it, Candle in the Wind, and then Benny and the Jets, and then Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and then Hello, You've Just Had Four of the Most Famous Songs of the 1970s in a row on one album. And then as you listen to it, you think, well, this must be the greatest album ever made. And then the problem is that you keep listening, and then it falls apart later. But anyways, I will get back to my thoughts on those songs after a bit. You guys go.
2: Yeah. um, I mean, first song on this album, Funeral Funeral for a Friend, uh, it's like two songs in one, really. And I, think it, I think it literally is two songs in one. There's a, a five-minute instrumental, which is Funeral for a Friend. And then Love Lies Bleeding, which is just a, a great rock song. Um, the whole thing kind of evokes the Who for me in its, in its um, operaticness ness um, You know, Candle in the Wind I've always found kind of treacly. Uh Not a huge fan. The Diana version, which was mentioned earlier, I believe is the top-selling single of all time. Hmm. Um but you know I could about Marilyn monroe it's 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 there's not much to, to 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 say about it. Benny and the Jets one of my top five Elton John songs. um just a great opening, you know, banging on the piano um and uh the 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 choice of of doing it in, uh, with with sort of the 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 fake audience sounds the the applause and the cheers. Um, interesting choice. Not really sure what the background is behind that, but really one of my one of my favorite Elton John songs. Jamaica Jerk Off is a great song, I think, often overlooked. Um, uh, fun, fun uh, kind of Jamaican steel steel drum tune to it. Um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, as we mentioned before, uh, definitely following in the in the Taupin theme. Uh, some crazy lyrics here, you know, hunting the horny back toad. Uh, I'm not sure if they actually do that in the um, the the provinces of Britain, um, but definitely uh, evokes that.
1: I'm not sure they do that anywhere. (laughs) Anywhere.
2: (laughs) Good, good point. Um, And then, you know, I think my favorite song on this album uh, appears at the end and it's Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. Uh, This is the, you know, the, the Brett Kavanaugh theme song, right? Getting a belly full of beer. Uh, and going out and just going out and throwing ice at your boys (laughs) at, at like the dirtiest scummiest bar you can find in new haven connecticut um but this is just a great hard rock song and it's fun to listen to it's fun to sing to uh it's fun if you see elton john live um i think it has some of the the greatest euphemisms for inebriation we've ever heard Come across drunker than a barrel full of monkeys. <laughs> Never heard of that before. Um, also, as oiled as a diesel train. Yes, I like and that one. Pretty, pretty good too. So that's just my favorite. That's like that's that's one of my top favorite songs. I think it's the best song on this album. <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if you, if you ignore the the crap of which there is a fair amount, I agree with Jeff. You know, if, if just those songs that I mentioned and all the girls love Alice, you know, if, if it was just comprised of those songs, then this would have been one of the greatest albums of the, of the 70s. Absolutely.
0: Jeff did a good job of explaining the problems with was basically side three of the of the double album. Uh The Dirty Little Girl and and uh and even Your Sister Can't Twist, which I don't think is a very good song. But those first seven tracks are just unbelievable. Uh even all the way up through Grey Seal, which is a nothing song. I just I mean
1: the lyrics are, are, are nothing, nothing at all. Oh no 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 no. It may be a nothing song lyrically, but right, there are a but... lot of Bernie hopping songs that are nothing songs lyrically. <laughs> that is a something song musically. Yes. The way that the way yes. that, that tom kick hits goes boom and then all those piano arpeggios. This is a song, by the way, that was... very early elton john b-side from like the, yeah. the self-titled album it's not a self-title reissue
0: you can hear it slower it's obviously not as it good sucks. it sucks yeah. it's,
1: it's like it's, it's funny to hear the original version because you get why he totally wanted to redo it and he never quite let go of the song he's like you know what that was better than what we gave it and then w- when it kicks in here that's that's my wife's fa- favorite it's elton great John song. song of all time actually and actually who well, knows what Tell me, Grace Seal, how does it feel <laughs> to be all right means, uh, you know, nobody knows what that means, but who cares when you have that melody?
0: Yep. And the lyrics don't matter, but the lyrics fit. This is actually a triumph of the way they worked, I think, in, in that what Bernie handed Elton didn't make any sense, but it didn't matter because of the way that he was able to craft the melody and the song around the words. The, the lyrics fit the holes and the patterns in that song. Absolutely to perfection. Uh, and it's a fantastic song, all the way to the uh, th- that c- guitar driven freak out toward the end of Gray Seal. It's just fantastic. Um, I want to talk about two more well-known songs, uh, Betty and the Jets, the live production that Jamie mentioned. My understanding is it's just because they thought it was a boring song and they wanted to make it more interesting. I am endlessly fascinated with that decision to produce it in a live way to the point where when I was, again, this is pre-internet, um, I I, spent, I literally spent time. Trying to track down the album version of "Betting and the Jets." I'm like, yeah, I've heard the live version. I know what that, but what is the like? You know, I want you to want me. All you always hear is the live version, but there is an album version. It's on in color. I was like, what's the album version of "Betting and the Jets"? What's the, the, the no no crowd? No what? And of course, it doesn't exist. This is the way it was produced on the album. The decision to do it that way. The absolute perfect way that it's pulled off right with, with the 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 applause to start this the song the the echo applied to everything the drums the lyrics the rhythmic clapping that that one guy who whistles the <whistles> that guy right um it's just perfect it it's got that soul and r&b strut to it i i, I the live production was a masterstroke decision i think it just fits the song perfectly i love love Benny and the jets and the first song here might be my favorite Elton John song, period. Funeral for a Friend and Love Lies Bleeding is outstanding. I can still, I, I remember my dad cranking this to like 11 in the car on the way home from Trips to See Family when it, when it would come on. I mean, to the point where, you know, he couldn't hear us screaming if we were in pain in the back seat. Um, <laughs> you know, that sweeping soundscape to start with those kind of far off bells and you get this kind of fanfare. Which dissolves into the piano, which really starts the song. And I think I think perhaps the most beautiful rock instrumental this side of, you know, the, the last half of, of Layla, which is also gorgeous. But Funeral for a Friend is a gorgeous, gorgeous song. And the drums and piano kick in, you get that kind of spacey synth sound to it. And almost four minutes in, you finally get this blast that pops through and cuts through. Love Lies Bleeding at that point which is the lyrical half of the song it's a, what, 11 and a half minutes it could be 22 and a half minutes every second of Funeral for a Friend and Love Lies Bleeding I love I would have listened to that you know on on repeat for, for a good day or so before I got tired of it I think um,
1: but, let's call it let's call it what it is it's prog rock this <laughs> is it, progressive rock I mean and, and yeah. Elton John again when I talked you know we've talked about like, this guy must have had the biggest record collection in the world yep yeah. He was clearly influenced by stuff by Yes and Jethro Tall and Genesis and all of those other British bands who are doing that. And this is more or less the only time he ever indulged himself in trying to do that. But, whoa, I mean, that's that could well end up on my top five, too. And it, it's, it's because that transition from you know the, the sort of moog synthesizer fanfare to his piano playing and then all of a sudden the guitars come in, and then, then you realize that this is not going to be a piano song this is a guitar song this is a rock and roll song love lies bleeding in my hands whoa where the hell did this come from and again you know it was a statement of purpose after what I think I think everybody agrees is a rather drifty album on Don't Shoot Me. And then this is how he opens his next record. He's like saying, I'm not done yet, folks. I got more. <laughs> Scott though, I i interrupted nope, that, that you. interrupt that did. was my final my final thought was on Funeral for Our
0: Friends. So you can you can you can finish up uh it,
1: well it, I mean I you know you guys have basically said everything that I wanted to say about it. Yeah, I loved your thoughts on Benny and the Jets too. A lot of people hate that song. I, oh, I really no. like it. Yeah. First song that I think he, he was the first white man to ever appear on Soul Train mm-hmm. because of that song because it was actually popular not only in, in the pop charts but in the R and B charts. Um and I love it. I love the fact that I have no idea what any of the lyrics <laughs> are. It's just like, hey kids, <laughs> Benny and the Jets. And that's all I know. Something like, something gonna be a lot of rock and roll sounds. And that's kind of the thrill of it. It's, a, it's like, a, again, a, a sort of a fake live track. It has that that sort of manufactured fake live sound that, that gives you what they were going for.
3: Hey kids, yeah.
1: thing I want to point out about the title track Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and this is just sort of exemplifies Elton's fecundity at this period. This story this one's actually true. I've seen it I've seen him recounted I've seen others recounted who were there at the time in documentaries. Bernie handed him the lyrics. I think they were in Jamaica, which is where Jamaica Jerk Off comes from as a song. They were recording there. Bernie hands him a set of lyrics. Elton's looking at him He wakes up in the morning and he sees this like slid under his door wakes up, everyone else is out there, they're eating their eggs and their their bangers and mash or whatever it is, (laughs) and he just sits down at the piano and he starts plonking away, and he writes, goodbye Yellow Brick Road over breakfast. How the hell does somebody do that if you... (laughs) Think about the chord changes in that song. Think about the melody in that song. Think about how ambitiously sort of aerial it is. <clears mm-hmm. <clears <throat> you know, it, it's, it's not like a sort of a nice mid-range tenor. It's, it's at the height. Of, I don't think he can play it anymore because after he had vocal surgery in the 80s, his his vocal range was reduced, so he couldn't hit those notes anymore. That's just an amazing song. The Goodbye Yellow Rick Road where the dogs of society howl. You can't catch me in your penthouse. I'm going back to my plow. Those just the lyrics are fantastic, but the music itself, the melody, the b- bopping up and down on the staff, on those various notes, it's just come up with that. You know, while everyone else is munching away on, you know, their hash browns, I, I, you know, it's the stuff of which legends are made. And this is one of the reasons why you just have to appreciate Elton John he's more than a hit machine the guy was a musical genius and you know he's still alive so i guess he is a <laughs> <Still> musical is. <laughs> genius even though he doesn't he doesn't do it right now what do you think? Other than that i think i think we're all we're all kind of agreed that that goodbye girl was a great record and could have been the best record uh, of his career one of the maybe five or ten best records ever released if it had been a single album but alas i had to put on stuff like the ballad of danny bailey <laughs> and roy rogers and social disease yeah social disease it's a song about vd didn't you ever want to hear Elton John singing a song about VD? I always thought it was funny how how uh, Bernie got Elton to ventriloquize his, yes. uh, you know, female <laughs> issues because you know Elton not spending a lot of time with the ladies one imagines, uh, and and yet you know if you were just a square living in like uh, you know Columbus, Ohio in 1973, you might not have realized that there that there was a, a big imposture being put on. That of course leads to Caribou, which is the the follow-up to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which was a massive number one success. And this was an instant number one success as well. But this is the first bad Elton John album, in my opinion. Hmm. Don't Shoot Me is not great, but there's a certain kind of consistent level of quality a little bit above mediocre you know i don't love elderberry wine but it's a good song have mercy on the criminal all those songs that we discussed okay fine there are a lot of songs on caribou that i legitimately hate mm. i hate solar prestige gammon i hate you're so static i hate i've seen the saucers there are bad songs on here the exhaustion is showing in a major way and of course The story is that it was rushed. They wanted to get it done in time so they could go on tour. But the problem is is that you can't just dismiss this album out of hand because it contains two, maybe three, of the most iconic songs that he ever wrote in his career. And I will start by saying this, that how awesome a commercial force was Elton John in the mid-1970s. He was so powerful that he (laughs) single-handedly could get a song where he screams the word bitch at the top of his lungs 43 times into the top five in the United States charts so that people in Des Moines, Iowa <laughs> were singing and nodding along their heads saying, I'm a bitch, I'm a bitch, all oh, the bitch is back. And they had no idea what they were singing <laughs> along to. That is commercial power. I am impressed as hell, not only with the song The Bitch is back, which is as good a Rolling Stones Nick as he ever wrote. <laughs> But I'm also impressed with the fact that he managed to make it a top, top five, top ten <laughs> single. How the hell did that happen? The 70s were weird. Now. <laughs>
0: So I wrote this down actually, G- Gus Dungeon, the, the producer. Here is his thoughts on Caribou. A piece of crap, the sound is the worst, the songs are nowhere, the sleeve came out wrong, the lyrics aren't that good, the singing wasn't all there, the playing wasn't great, and the production is plain lousy. Other than that, it's a decent album, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, Bitch is Back is a great song, and it just makes you move. Other than that, um, look, uh, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me is a classic, although at this point in my life, being my age, which is Jeff's age, I I can't really hear that song. I don't know if this is true for you, Jeff, without hearing the exact moment when George Michael says, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Elton John, because his version got played endlessly when it was released and you know elton guests and uh, there's that and then ticking is a is a really interesting song late on the album boy talk about odd bernie top and lyrics song about an uh, a unstable guy who kills 14 people and then is gunned down by police so you know a typical elton john kind of track <laughs>
1: simple how, how do you think elton felt when bernie <laughs> handed in the text that <laughs> one
0: well you he know, probably said it, you know i already did, i did all the girls love alice this isn't that bad um uh, a simple ballad, though, just Elton John and and his piano, and it's a it's a lengthy one too. But uh, the, the the rest of of Caribou is I don't even know if it's worth uh, a listen. I don't, I don't know where Jamie is on this.
2: Um, I'm with you guys. I think there's there's two or three good songs, but they're great songs. Bitches Back is a great hard rock song, and you know only Elton could have could have done it. Jeff, I think you're right on that. I'm also a fan of Stinker. Uh, I thought I think that's kind of an overlooked gem. Um... And yes, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me is an iconic Elton John song. But uh, you're right, Scott. It is. uh, Most people seem to think that this was originally a, a duet with George Michael. They seem to forget that it was Elton John who was the original performer. great as a as a solo uh track for him as well
1: so that brings us to captain fantastic and the brown dirt cowboy which is his autobiographical concept album believe it or not elton john had somehow managed to get through the entire 70s without doing a true concept album <laughs> here you have one this is about uh, well you know bernie tompin what does he do he writes about what he knows so what is, the song, what is the album about? It's about his relationship with Elton John and them <laughs> getting together and you know working together and trying to make it as as songwriters, as friends <clears throat> in the business. Um, a lot of people consider this to be the last truly great Elton John album. I think it's excellent. I also think it's overrated. I think there's a couple songs on here that remind me in a bad way of Queen. Um <laughs> I am not a big Queen fan. This is a kind of a constant uh, thing that goes on in my 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 uh, my Twitter feed. I don't like stuff like uh, you know "Better Off Dead," which sounds like a, like an awful Freddie Mercury song. "Gotta Get a Meal Ticket," writing that stuff is just it's kind of tuneless mush. This is an album that I think is overwhelmed, unfortunately, by one song that just sort of crowds out the space of everything else, and that of course is "Someone Saved My Life Tonight," which. I I don't. I've never met a person who did not like this song. I don't think you can dislike this song. This song is so nakedly confessional. This is a song about Elton John kind of coming to terms with the fact that I'm a gay man, you know. And there's this woman who's who's trying to kind of, you know, I'm in a relationship with a girl because that's what it's expected of me. And you know, engaged. I think in fact. What'd you say? He was engaged at the time, I think he was engaged. Yeah. Right. And she was you know, trying to, you know, you know, trying to, to marry him. Yep. And, uh, and he was maybe about to go through with it, you know, even though obviously he knew in his heart that that's obviously not where his interests lay. Um, and then he was talked out of it by his friend along with john baldery the guy he played with in the band uh bluesology at the time that was the guy who talked him out of it um and that song just is so devastating and what i think i am th- I'm most impressed about other than the fact that the, again, the music is so good and bernie wrote a great set of lyrics for him is how everyone can relate to that song that song is about a man avoiding marriage because he realizes he's homosexual so you would think well there's a limited audience for that but there's not that song is a universal song that song plays and sings to everyone that song sings forever as one of elton's greatest songs ever precisely because everything about the arrangement the lyrics the performance is so perfectly calibrated you know and at that end when he says and Someone saved my life tonight, sugar bear, and then all the other beach boys harmonies in the background, sugar bear, sugar bear, sugar bear. You almost had your hooks in me, didn't you, dear? That's one of the most powerful moments in this entire discography. And uh I'm just really impressed at how he universalizes a really private moment.
2: Yeah, uh, I agree. Great song. Um, a little cruel to this woman. You nearly had your hooks in me. You right. nearly had me roped and tied. Yeah.
1: I just hope she was a bitch. I, I really hope she was a bad person because otherwise it would feel indescribably mean. You're right. Right.
2: right. Um, no, meal ticket. Uh, I agree. This is what the kind of song that belongs to a genre that. My friend, and you've had him on your show before. Eli Lake refers to as dirtbag rock, which is basically like you know, basically like Southern rock, Leonard Skinner, ZZ Top, basically the kind of music that you listen to if you're a guy with weird facial hair and have a you know, like truck nuts on your on your car or something. Uh, it really has that kind of like you know, grungy, dirty feel to it. Not a not a fan. Um, Bitter Fingers, I think, is is a pretty good song, and, and I think it's kind of if, if you listen to it carefully, it's sort of presages his later um, musical theater career. This song sounds like it, it could be, you know, in a in a in a Broadway kind of rock opera show. Yeah, um, and I like it.
1: I think I think it's the, it's the secretly the most underrated song on the album because mm. it starts with that little piano. It, it sounds like a soft piano ballad, and then all of a sudden, it just kicks into the rock. Yeah. you know, it's hard to write a song with bitter fingers. Bam! Yeah. That's a great little chorus, and then it goes yeah. back into the soft balladry again, very yeah. Broadway.
0: You guys, what's, someone said my life tonight, as Jeff mentioned, is a song that uh, you just, the the convince, the convince convincing, nah, that's not what I want to say, the, <laughs> the passion with which Elton John sings and convinces you of those lyrics, which makes sense because they're true, but, you know, the, it's four o'clock in the morning, damn it, listen to me. I mean, that is one of the strongest deliveries uh in any l john song it's just it's just perfect and it, it the melody is beautiful it, it's it's a, a song again that i think most people really like it's the best song on the album um i don't love a whole lot of other stuff here uh the title track uh, the first track on the album i think is is uh, is okay i actually don't mind uh better off dead which is one that that uh that jeff does not like i, I kind of like that that uh that that uh gated drum sound which kind of sounds either like marching or perhaps gunfire there's some warlike imagery in the lyrics that bernie provided for that one um I, I think it's better than caribou it's a little more free it sounds a little more relaxed than the last album um but it's nowhere near you know the top of a list I, i'll mention now because i think it came out right around the same time uh what philadelphia freedom was right Uh, at the start of nineteen seventy five. A song
1: he he wrote on request for was it Billie Jean King? Yes, her her professional tennis team in in Philly. In Philly. And like talk about the most impossible title to write a song around. She's like, uh can you give us like a theme tune? It's like what's the name of your group? Well it's Philadelphia Freedom. He's like crap. All right. (laughs) And they did it and then it made it to number one. (laughs)
2: The song it came out around the bicentennial, which yep, was, was, was yep. 1776, and it's, it's a great, it's a great patriotic song, and it's a great Philadelphia song, and it's it's really endearing. It was written by a Brit, and I just think it's a it's a fun kind of
1: toe tapping song.
0: I'm a sucker for yeah. the, that Philly soul sound. Yeah. I mean, I just really am, and it, it, it's a it's a it's a great song.
1: By the way, I will I will say one last thing about Captain Fantastic, which is that the ending of that album I think is the reason why people truly love it. It's not just someone saved my life tonight. It's that it feels like it has a true resolution that draws everything together with those that last medley, we all fall in love sometimes and then curtains. That transition from we all fall in love sometimes to the chorus and then I used to know this old scarecrow and that curtains. As the curtains draw across the stage, you know, and and we wave goodbye, and he talks about Empty Sky, which is the beginning of their careers. That's a beautiful moment. That actually, that and Someone Saved, those are the moments that I treasure.
3: Heavy eyes could hardly hold us, aching legs that often told us it's not worth it. I used to know this old scarecrow He was my son My joy and sorrow Cast along between the furrows Of a
1: And I think those are the reasons that everyone else maybe rates Captain Fantastic a lot more highly than they should. Uh, Particularly in respect to an album that nobody rates well at all, which is Rock of the Westies. His last big number one album from that streak, which went to number one, had a number one single called Island Girl, which no one remembers now. I have a
0: note here. Is that the most forgotten about number one song by a big act?
1: I don't know. It's got to be close. This is the most forgotten about number one album by a big act. But I got to tell you, it's undeserved. This is a great record. I think this is the most underrated Elton John album of all time. It's hard rock. Island Girl is actually pop. It's the one moment on the album that's very poppy. Um, But everything else here is just guitar heavy, really kind of raucous, nasty stuff. Angry lyrics by Bernie Thompson. Socially relevant lyrics, too. Island Girl itself is is actually, if you read the text of that, that's like some... uh, You know, that's kind of like an answer to brown sugar in my mind. You know, brown sugar is like, you know, here's a white guy talking about, oh, I love those black ladies and island girls. Like, you, you know, you island girls. Why you, you know, you know, you're messing around with the, uh, you know, the high society. It's he's not condemning them, but he's talking about sort of the exploitation, the exoticization, and the fetishism. Of you know like you know African American or Afro Cuban women, what a weird theme for a song. Obviously, it comes out of some personal Bernie experience. But grow some funky your own, and then there's that 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 sort of self that confessional song that that he wrote about his. You know, impending divorce called I Feel Like a Bullet Mm -hmm. in the Gun of Robert Ford. Robert Ford is the guy who shot Jesse James, who was his friend who betrayed him for money and killed him. Um, And uh, I Feel Like a Bullet. And, you know, Bernie is basically using Elton to talk to his soon to be x y say like i'm that man i let you down i betrayed you and the way elton just sings these really high falsetto notes in that chorus and in that second verse it's just so dramatic and so good and then nobody remembers this record
3: i burst the bubble both of us lived in and i'm damned if i'll ever get rid of the skill that i feel No more
1: A bad song on Rock of the Westies, and yet not a single person even ever talks about it—not once. And you know, prove me wrong, but I doubt you will.
2: I have no idea. Island Girl was a was a number one single. That's, um, I think you're right about that—that that, of, of, of that being not known. I didn't know it. I consider myself a pretty, but uh, <laughs> well versed in, in 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 the in the lore of Elton John. Uh, Gross and Funk your own, definitely one of the one of the great Elton John songs. Um, Street Kids, also a great song Um, And I think uh, I feel like a bullet in the gun of Robert Ford uh, Has one of the greatest Lyrics uh, that Bernie's ever produced If looks could kill, I'd be a dead man Um, uh, Really um, uh, Really great songs on this album Yeah, it's not one of my favorites But it's definitely underappreciated
0: And this is just four months After The last album came out. They're still working at a feverish pace. You guys identified the three songs I like best from this record. They're all right in a row, in the middle. Grow some funky of your own. Uh, I Feel Like a Bullet, uh, which you guys covered nicely. And then Street Kids, uh, with a very playful piano part from Elton John. I hear some 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 of that i don't know what 70s kind of outside outside trends influencing a bit of the music seeping into some of the music on rock of the, of the westies uh which is good in places and in other places is not uh but but it's certainly uh a high mark for well i guess it could be the rest of the decade perhaps uh because from here blue moves is next and Oof. this is a double
1: what the hell happened I mean this, yep. is, this, is, this is this is the moment where the creative exhaustion finally hits you know they, they'd take a hit they'd come back they'd take a hit they'd come back and then they took a hit and well they never really quite came back did they a double album boy you know that, that's your smartest move to release a double when album when you're tired <laughs> yeah out of ideas. When, you, when you're really tired uh, Blue Moves is this a double record with uh, what four good songs on it five maybe let's, I don't let's know be generous just being generous I mean, <clears throat> I like One Horse Town a lot. I think that's a really good kind of a disco funk song. I really, really like Out of the Blue, which is a pure instrumental, but it's very prog-rocky. Um, I like Between 17 and 20, another one of those Bernie divorce songs, which is, you know, he's writing about his wife sleeping with the bassist in the band. The Wide-Eyed and Laughing is really nice. It's kind of a almost Eastern Indian kind of melismatic little thing. But then the rest of this is just th- there's a song on this called Tonight. It's the second song on the album. There's like a little brief instrumental called Your Starter Fork. It. Yep. Oh, it's nice. Then they hit you with this long piece and you think, Oh, well, there's another instrumental. It's called Tonight uh, and then you look at it and you realize like, Holy crap, this is eight minutes long and then you realize it's the most pompously overwrought piece of crap that elton john ever put out during the 1970s and that's the moment when we realize uh oh he's lost the plot they've lost the plot this is just not a good album and you know it's easy to say in retrospect what happened bernie was getting divorced his heart wasn't in the lyrics but then you look at the, the, the quote hit single from this which is what sorry seems to be the hardest word yeah that's a terrible song it is. I'm sorry. That that is that is a crap rewrite of We All Fall in Love Sometimes. From um listen to the chords. They're all the same chords, the same melodies basically. It's a crap rewrite of We All Fall in Love Sometimes from Captain Fantastic. And uh I'm insulted that it ever shows up on greatest hits albums. <laughs> there are some moderately interesting moments on the rest of this record, but my god, what a drop off.
0: And I just yeah. like I just There's, like sorry seems to be yeah. the hardest word even d- despite the fact of its prominent placement in one of the great comedies of all time 1977's slapshot uh, oh of course but uh, but no it, it it establishes itself and then just kind of sits there it, it, it just stalls it's not a good song I like someone's final song uh from this record, it's weird. It's a record that sounds good. It actually was recorded very well, I think. I mean, it, it's it's a good sounding record, acoustic not acoustically, but you know, it sounds good. But that the songs are just simply not there, and I, you kind of want them to be but it just doesn't pay off. There's a whole bunch of guests, David Crosby and Graham Nash and Bruce Johnston, and David Sanborn uh, plays on here. There's a lot of slide guitar sound. Um, I, I hear and I think Joe Walsh is not Joe Walsh, of course, it's Davey, but but there's a lot of slide guitar all over Blue Moves, which is kind of an odd choice, I thought. Yeah. Um, but I, I tried and it's just, I, I wish it were better, but it's not. It's just not.
2: Yeah, there's really little here worth mentioning. Um, sorry seems to be the hardest word Is is pretty... Pretty sappy. Bite your lip, get up and dance is okay. Um, but that's really, that's really it. And then sadly, you're right. It's, it's mostly downhill from here.
1: I mean, that's what happened. You know, that, that Bernie and Elton at this point said, you know what? We've had enough for at least a while. They took a break. I think this is, you know, after the, the breakneck working pace, Elton took two years off. Didn't come out with an album until 1978, and when he did, he had a new writing partner. Some guy who I've never heard of, don't know from Adam, named, was it, Gary Osborne? Yep. Scott, you want to tell me something about this dude? Because I don't know who he is. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not particularly impressed with the lyrics that he writes for Elton, but I will say this about A Single Man, which is Elton John's 1978 album. This is unexpectedly the last album um, you know, from a long streak of records that is really worth hearing in whole. I think this is a secretly a very good record, very underrated. The lyrics are not there because, honestly, Bernie Taupin at this point had grown into a very intriguing and interesting lyricist. And without him, you know, Elton isn't inspired. He doesn't either bring a vocal performance or even maybe I feel like a, a writing performance. Uh, that, that is as good as you would get when Bernie inspired him to do some strange things. But this is a good record. There are a lot of uh, surprisingly good songs on this, starting from the beginning, from Shine On Through to you know Part-Time Love and Georgia. Georgia is a really nice soul song. Sound feels like something that you could have heard on Honky Chateau. But there's one really bizarre thing on this thing called It Ain't Gonna Be Easy. Eight and a half minutes long, it's a kind of a yeah. long yes. blues guitar funk record on an album from 1978, which makes it feel curiously out of time and out of place, but it's fantastic.
3: It ain't gonna be so easy this time.
1: I really think people should check out A Single Man, even if they've never heard a single song on this record, which they certainly have not, because it's the last like, really good Elton John record from his classic era.
0: We're at the point where we're going to have to speed through a few of these albums, and it's not the worst thing in the world, because there's not a lot to talk about. But this, as Jeff pointed out, I think no, is No, no,
3: no, 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 no. The
0: rest
1: of the day, will be devoted to victim, victim of, of love.
0: love <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's right, though. A single man of these late 70s era is one that's at least worth a listen. Um, uh, the melodies were done for, you know, we mentioned for, it was lyrics first, then melodies. This was opposite this time. Basically, Elton had a bunch of melodies he liked, and then went to this Gary Osborne guy and said, write me some lyrics. So it was done in the opposite way uh shine on through um is a great melody just elton and and the piano and the band pops in toward the end return to paradise i like about a lot Uh, jeff you should too. marimba in return to paradise and uh, i noticed yep and then as jeff mentioned the eight and a half minute long uh it ain't gonna be easy is really has a great bluesy feel and it's one that buckmaster does there's a string section on um those three songs at least are worth hearing and I think a single man is is worth a listen it's it's nowhere near uh, the best of his work but it is uh, at least a, a slight comeback considering where, where he was just beforehand
2: yeah I actually I, I like disco music maybe, maybe <laughs> you're gonna call me for saying that or your listeners will but uh, I'm not a fan of victim of love it's just wasn't wasn't a good idea I'll just say that
1: <laughs> I mean the thing is is that I don't understand why he sung all these songs He never played them again, never performed a single one of them in concert. It just seems to me like, OK, there must have been like drug issues or something in the background. He was clearly at the height of his complete disengagement, which is something that carries on through most of the late 70s and early 80s yeah. period. You know, there's like a couple of good songs, interesting instrumentals. I like Carla Etude. I think that's on um, the or I don't know if it's on 21 or 33 or if it's on the Fox. But these are albums that are just, you know, they're, they're, they're completely dispensable. Um But then all of a sudden, really, what you need to know is what happens is that uh, Bernie and Elton get back together. They patch things up. They decide, you know, we're better together than apart. And they decided to write a full album, working in collaboration again. And the name of that album is Too Low for Zero. They do that in 1982, comes out in 1983, and that's when Elton John comes back. And he basically comes back forever. He will never leave the charts again as a top forty hit-making singles artist. But this has got at least two songs that every human being of a certain age on the planet has heard. One of them is, of course, I guess that's why they call it the blues. And yeah, it's a throwback, but it's much better throwback than crocodile rock i love that song i love that song i love the stupid you know sailors kissing their girls (laughs) music video that i watched as a kid and i love i'm still standing too i don't know how you can dislike i'm still standing i mean isn't that elton john's motto after all the drugs the excesses all the weird things that i've done with my life hey guess what i'm alive i'm still here he's still standing to this day both good songs, a good album. I also think Cold Is Christmas," which is the opening mm. track on that record, is pretty underrated as well. Uh, those two songs, the, the the big
0: singles, "I'm Still Standing" and I guess what they call it, "The Blues." That's what they call it the blues are, are as good, really, as good as anything that that Bernie Taupin and Elton John did together. "I'm Still Standing" is just a smoking single. Uh, the band sounds great, and and the backing. This is the the, you know, the Elton John band. Uh, that core band comes back full time for Tulo to zero, too low for zero as well, and th- the the backing vocals were missed. I, I love hearing that b- the, that band sing backing vocals. One of my favorite things about I'm Still Standing too is the way that second verse is so quick. There, I think there's two two verses before you get to the big chorus, and then the chorus is just gigantic, right? Yeah. And so they come back and they do a, vi- it's a very quick second verse. It's probably like 15 seconds before they get right back to the chorus again. It's, it's great. It's a, it's a well-planned song. And that, that line, that picking up the pieces of my life without you on my mind, is a great, great line from Brittany Coffin.
3: Once I never could have hoped to win. You're starting down the road to leaving me again. The threats you made were meant to cut me down. And if my love was just a circus, you'd be a clown by my.
0: But I guess why they call it, the blues. Guys, this is, this is a timeless song. I mean, it, the, the melody strikes you. It creates an emotional connection. Uh, but, you know, that musical figure in between the verse lines, the do-do, do-do-do-do is perfect. And the way that Bernie wrote those, you know, the laughing like children, living like lovers, and rolling like... The way Elton hits thunder every Thunder, time. under it's the just, covers. It's just fantastic. <laughs> and again, uh, sometimes the simple notions the simple things that Bernie Taupin wants to say are are the best and in this song you know hey but, you know i'll
1: tell you what simple is time on my hands could be time spent with you yeah. i love that line but and then it's beautiful
0: line. but more than ever i simply love you more than i love life itself it's a simple sentiment but it's delivered clearly and directly by Elton John and this is i mean this this song sounds as good for me today as it did you know when it was released and when i when i when i heard it through the 80s if I
3: well, that-
2: the bride to the list Mm -hmm. which um, I think is is a great guitar riff and um, great kind of hard rock song really crazy music video by the way with like a biker gang wedding (laughs) Um, worth watching
1: um but do we have any thought do we have any thoughts on the, the latter era hit making era of Elton John as we zoom through to the end? This is a guy who would be scoring stuff all the way through the late 80s, early 90s. You know, I don't know if anybody really has a has a, a real fire burning in their hearts for sacrifice. No. I hope not. <laughs> I hate that song. Or, or you know, sad songs say so much. But I will tell you, there are a couple ones that I really, really, really do still like. And I guess it's kind of uh, related to my VH1 era growing up. I really love, um, I don't want to go on with you like that, which is fantastic. I mean, yeah. I would say it's actually the last truly top shelf, mm-hmm. you know, top, top tier Elton John Bernie Top and Song ever. But I also like stuff like. Uh, know me and you rendezvous at the club at the end of the street that's from sleeping with the past in 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 1988 or 89 um that's the era where i remember hearing elton john songs i think these are really cool and then all of a sudden the 90s ticked over (laughs) and then he was you know yeah that was the moment i was just like now this is lame man i don't know maybe i was listening to too much pearl jam at the time (laughs) but that was the moment where it just clicked off for me anybody feel differently uh,
0: a couple things I want to, uh, sad songs say so much I, I have to mention this I saw, I saw this on YouTube there is a there is a line of uh, jeans called Sassin Jeans and th- there is an there's an ad on YouTube look it up in which Elton John uh, sings sad songs say so much but instead it's Sassin says so much Sassin Jeans it's incredible in that they 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 had Elton say Instead of turn them on, he says put them on, but they didn't change the backing vocals. So Elton says put them on, and the backing vocal says T- uh, turn it on, and it makes no sense whatsoever. And I imagine the ad executive that was going to work one day, listening to the you know top 40 and hearing sad songs say so much and thinking, man fits right in with our jeans, but there's no way elton john would ever let us use the song and there's certainly no way he'd ever appear in the actual commercial itself <laughs> and then of course he did you know he'd like to spend money what can you say it costs
2: a lot of money to maintain That's, i think he has like six yep. houses i mean it costs a lot yep. of money to maintain that lifestyle
1: and then the only other thing i want to mention like the outfits alone i mean right. i can imagine the upkeep <laughs> of all that you know that, that that chiffon yeah
0: the other thing i want to mention quickly is on uh, red strikes back which is after the horrific leather jackets album there are two songs I think are excellent. Jeff mentioned one, which is "I Don't Want to Go on with You Like That," which I always had heard as Bernie's kind of like ultimatum to Elton, you know, from a couple of years ago before they got back together, saying, you know, you want to work with a bunch of people, just work with me. It's best one-on-one. Those lyrics just fit that sort of thing perfectly with Bernie kind of reaching out and saying, "Come on, just, 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 just the two of us." And then a, a word in Spanish was a hit single too. That's got a really killer melody to it. I think people really forget about that song. That's a top 20 hit, and a, a word in Spanish from Red Strikes Back is also very, very good.
3: Something leaves me speechless It's time that you approach It's time you glide right through me As if I was a ghost, if I only could tell ya If you only would listen I've got a line or two to use on you sound at the words in the Spanish, but the female lead to tears. The
0: word in the Spanish. any any thoughts Jamie before we go to our uh, our songs well, and our weird. albums
2: let's, let's do the uh, the top all right the top
0: that's our look at Elton John and as you uh, well know at the end of every episode we uh, put together a list of two albums and five songs uh, that we think that uh, people should own and or hear, especially on the song side. No criteria here, it's just you know, what do you think? And we go to our guest first each and every time, so uh, Jamie Kerchick, tell us please the two albums people should own, the five songs that they really need to hear. Uh,
2: The first album I would say is Elton John, Um, and I think it's because it is uh, it it just really shows the sort of the soul gospel blues um, influence that, that was so important to him in his career, and it really shines through on this album um, like I said before, uh, it has your song on it, and "Take Me to the Pilot," which are just are two of the greats. I'm going to list later. And the second one, uh, the second album, is going to be "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." In spite of all the crap on it, I mean, there are you know half that album is just is gold, and and really um, uh, is 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 quintessential Elton John, just in terms of the the operaticness of it and the the kind of stadium you know the the the, the stadium filling um performances that you associate with him um the top five songs your song as i said i think one of the one of the greatest love songs ever um sorry jeff um <laughs> second uh take me to the pilot again both off that 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 same album elton john um next uh benny and the jets um fourth uh saturday nights all right for fighting and then fifth, I might throw you a curveball on this. I'm going to say I don't want to go on with you like that because hmm. I do think I want to. I want to choose something that represents the kind of you know the last 20 years of Elton John's career, which has not been the best music that he's done. But there are a couple highlights, and I think that song is probably the best that he's written or performed, um, you know, since the the real top point of of, of his career in the in the mid 70s.
3: To love Now I hear you bragging One of not enough well, Someone told me You're not satisfied you got plans To make me One of four or five I guess this kind of thing Just in your blood But you won't catch me coming up my
0: All right for, uh, for my two albums, uh, for me, these are very clear, v- very clear. Uh, Tumbleweed Connection, which I think is the, is the very best Elton John album that again, I, really you, you really have to hear it if you're a fan of Elton at all at all. And then uh, Honky Chateau uh, is is my second. I think those two really really are are, are cut above. The rest, especially as we think of Elton John as an album act and not just a, a singles act, as, as he should be known as an album, al- album act. Uh, the five songs I think you should hear. Um, these are all early part of the career. Um, Border Song from uh, from from Elton John, the self-titled album. That, that's just fantastic. From Tumbleweed Connection, uh, Burn Down the Mission. Um, Honky Chateau, Motor Leases and Mad Hatters from Goodbye Yellow Rock Road. Mentioned it earlier, Funeral for a Friend, and Love Life's Bleeding. I kind of get two songs for the price of one there. And uh, from Captain Fantastic, yeah, uh, Someone Saved My Life Tonight is just a, a magnificent Elton John uh, melody set to, to some amazing lyrics by Bernie Taupin. So those are my five. Jeff, your choices. I
1: hate it when we're boring. I hate <laughs> it when we repeat one ourselves. Because obviously I'm going to, know we already knew this, if you've been listening to the show, agree about our albums, yes... The first album I would choose is indeed Tumbleweed Connection, How Can You Not, after you've heard what I said about it. And, of course, the second one is going to be Honky Chateau. Uh, again, every every album. You, you, darn it, even Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. You know every album from Elton John's you know 1969 or 1970 through 1976 run is worth hearing. The guy was consistently great, and he wasn't a singles act; he was an album act. But yes, if you're going to choose two albums, those two albums in particular, because I think they're so underappreciated, because nobody knows Tumbleweed Connection even exists, and people think of Honky Chateau, they think of just the hit singles, and that album is so much better than just those hit singles. For my five songs, uh, Border song. Again, going to repeat something that Scott said. I think that's one of Elton's finest songs and one of his finest early songs. Uh, Amarina from Tumblebee Connection. Mm-hmm. And when it rains, mm-hmm. the rain yeah. falls down. Oh my god. God. By the way, I would say one of the finest uses of diegetic music in a film soundtrack. Uh, The only piece of music that is used in the film Dog Day Afternoon, Mm -hmm. you know, with Al Pacino, uh, directed by Sidney Lumet, uh, that is Amarina, which plays in a car parked outside a bank at the beginning of that film. It's one of those random factoids. Great song. Third choice is a big hit, but it's a great hit. It's Rocket Man. Rocket Man off *A Honky Chateau. Um, you've just got to somehow get past the fact that the the, lo- the song and the lyrics are super famous, and listen to it with fresh ears. It's as beautiful a song as Elton ever wrote. It's as brilliant a set of lyrics as Bernie ever wrote. Then my fourth would be Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. Again, taking one that Scott took, but I agree with everything he said. It's Elton John, the progiest. You know me, I'm a prog rock nerd. How could I not love that song? And I'm going to mention uh, my last song is also from Good by Yellow Brick Road, and it's one that we didn't talk too much about. It's probably the, the best song that Elton ever ended an album of his with. It's called Harmony. Um, mm. Harmony and me were pretty good company looking for our island in our boat upon the sea. Um, God, it's a beautiful song, and it ends with the most, probably the most impressive set of swirling harmonies that Elton John ever assembled in his entire career and wraps up an album that is still a massive triumph. And yet, if that that harmony song had just ended a single disc, we would think of, of... it is the greatest album of the entire 1970s, which is why I'm still filled with regret for it. But I'm not, I'm not regretful at all about Harmony. Harmony is such a beautiful song, and I actually feel bad that I didn't get more time to talk about it on the show.
3: Hello, baby, hello. Open up your heart and let your feelings flow. You're not knocking knowing me. Keeping the speed real slow. In any case I set my own pace by stealing the show
4: Say hello, hello
3: Harmony oh, 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 oh. I need A pretty good company Looking for
0: we go there's our political beats look at the music of elton john we thank our guest jamie kerchick brooking institution visiting fellow author of the recent book the end of europe check it out and columnist for tablet magazine find him on twitter as well at Jay kerchick jamie thank you so much for joining political beats
2: thanks for having me i had a great time and i encourage people to listen to elton john more than you already are <laughs>
0: and uh, jeff uh, another fine walk through uh, the past, and we'll we'll do it again soon. Yeah, in, indeed. See you soon, my friend. Find uh, Jeff online at Esoteric City on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Remember, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in. Uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, or go to nationalreview.com. Listen there and leave reviews all over the place. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.